A vice is not just a bad action that you do once or twice or three times, but it's something that you allow yourself to fall into, an evil thing that becomes almost part of you. Here's your host. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. This week, we continue our three-part series on virtues and vices, and we are finally going to get to some of the vices. We are in the 23rd week of Ordinary Time, and will be previewing the Gospel of St. Luke for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I'd like to welcome the priests to the show, Father Dennis. Hi, everyone. Father Marty. Good afternoon, everybody. Father Mike. Hi, everybody. And Father James is in Iowa City at the Newman Center for a Mass for the returning students that are coming back to school. So uh, we wish them well and, uh, and hope they have a good year up there. We're going to try to get some vocations from the Newman Center. There you go. Amen. In the news and notes, I want to start off by apologizing to the listeners. We recorded the first episode of our Virtues and Vices show, which should have started airing on uh, August 22nd. I tuned in Friday night and realized that I just plain forgot to schedule it. <laughs> exactly. I tuned in to hear the uh, parish post-COVID show, which ran an extra week. So <laughs> anybody that tuned in the week of the 22nd and heard the same show again, my apologies. What I did was uh, rescheduled it. And if you can go to the website uh, and get details and listen to the, uh, the episodes and get caught up. Father Marty, do you have any other news and notes? Yeah, we got a couple uh, big things coming. Um, first of all, this week we celebrate the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I believe on Thursday, um, September 8th. So that means we're then three months away from the Immaculate Conception, which means we are three months, two weeks, and three days away from Christmas. That is how much shopping days you have left. <laughs> Get on it. Um, also on the, um, on the 11th, as we um, remember those um, who died on 9-11, um, especially, you know, the innocent victims, the, the heroes of that day. It will also be the day of our Autumn Fest out at Dodgeville, St. Mary's Dodgeville. Father James is still claiming that he's going to stay high and dry. He's even thinking about bringing a book to read for that half hour. <laughs> so come out, dunk Father James. You'll be in there along with Mr. Moppin and a few others. Father Dennis is going to be playing ping pong. I'm going to be um, chipping golf balls. Um, so it'll be a great time. And by the way, did you know there's also a pork loin dinner that day and auction? You know, we're kind of, you know, pumping up this uh, beat the priest, but there's also other things going on. And then also that weekend, um, we will kick off our annual diocesan appeal for the year. Um, both parishes were very generous in their response last year. Um, I've already heard that one of the retired priests sitting at this table has a at least a $50,000 gift to, to the parish. Is that true, Father Mike? I wonder who that might be. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm just kidding, folks. Um, but we do kick off the annual diocesan appeal. We continue um, the work of the diocese. Thank you for your generosity in the past, and I'm confident that we will reach our goal of $133,000 plus for Divine Mercy and $14,000 even for St. Mary's in Dodgeville. Wow, very good. Uh, and then the week after that, we have the Exaltation of the Holy Cross on the 14th and Our Lady of Sorrows on the 15th. If you can make it to Daily Mass those days, that's fabulous. Uh, Father Marty, I believe you have our uh, opening prayer tonight. Yes, and I'm going to do the prayer um, from the first psalm of daytime prayer today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, teach us goodness, discipline, and wisdom, 
that these gifts will keep us from becoming hardened by evil, weakened by laziness, or ignorant because of foolishness, through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's one of my favorite psalm prayers. The other one is when we ask for forgiveness for the stupidity of our youth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, it's been so long ago. (laughs) You can't remember it? No, but I must have been stupid sometime. (laughs) I think I just teed up this uh, gospel for you today too, Father. Good for you. You bet. Well, tonight the posse will discuss Luke's reading for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And that is chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. It's kind of a long one tonight. Uh, In this reading, Jesus pairs up three pretty popular parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the woman with ten coins, and the prodigal son. All three contain something lost that is found with each building in importance. And Father Mike, you're going to read our gospel tonight. Yes. Most of you out there might think after hearing this that because it's so long, they automatically said that I should do it. But I ask for the privilege. I ask for the privilege of doing this because uh, uh, these parables are very special to me personally. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Saint Luke: Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." And so to them he addressed this parable. What man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon arrival at his home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, A man had two sons, and the younger son said to the father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. And so the father divided the property between them. And after a few days, the younger son collected all of his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. And when he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. And so he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. And coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. And so he got up and he went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him, and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. 
But his father ordered his servants, quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and take the fatted calf and slaughter it. And then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he's come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. And then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And he became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he said to his father in reply, look, all these years I have served you and not once did I disobey your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat to feed on or my friends, but when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughtered the fattened calf. And the father said to him, my son, you are here with me always, and everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your father was dead, your brother was dead, and has come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Mike. Thank you. The lost sheep example was a wild exaggeration for the people of that time and for us today. Who would really leave the whole flock to find one sheep? Jesus. Is, <laughs> is Jesus poking the Pharisees in the eye with these stories? How does that apply to us today? Well, you have to remember, you have to go back to the first three verses. And um, I'm going to need a little bit of help from Fathers Mike and Dennis here when I say this. You know, that uh, it was very uncommon for a holy man, if I'm right, and correct me if I'm not, you two, for a holy man to be with tax collectors and sinners. Correct. Okay. So Jesus is um, dining. You know, in Luke, I'm surprised Jesus ain't about 400 pounds. But anyway, <laughs> um uh, he's always eating. Have you noticed that? He okay. Eats all the time. All right. It's all that walking. Yeah. So he's so he's with tax collectors and sinners, and that's why the Pharisees um, would really be on him about that. You know, your 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 guy, te- you know, eats with tax collectors and sinners. What's going on here? And you know, Jesus would overhear that, but you have to go back to something he said earlier. You know, well people, people who are well don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Right. And and Jesus came to save. And so he's going to those um, who need saved, the tax collectors and the sinners. And what I find interesting about that is we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. And when he, and when it's like, you know, the Pharisees are saying, you know, your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners. Well, he eats with you too. What's that say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was kind of wondering too if the Pharisees were, you know, in the mode of trying to trap Jesus too. Uh, I'm not sure in this one. It was just, they're always looking for him to do something. But then that's what the the slam about eating with sinners and tax collectors Mm -hmm. was was about. Yeah, it is also, um, in addition to what Father Mahdi had said, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they regard themselves as perfect people. Mm -hmm. So, mixing up with the tax collectors, for them, that was not something possible. And Jesus was a teacher, and the teacher mixing up with the tax collectors who were already labeled as the sinners was something mm-hmm. unbelievable. 
But Jesus is doing the contrary to teach them that he came for sinners. Mm-hmm. Not you know, we do a little of that today still. There's a vestige of that that's still with us, even though we don't claim to be holy or perfect or anything like that. But whenever we see somebody who is with somebody who's got a bad reputation, mm-hmm. there's a big question in our mind. is why, why are they associating with that person? Don't they know what they're really like, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I, th- I think that's still present in the human psyche with us today. And we make a judgment inside. We maybe not come out and say it. We don't always give every fa- everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to go back to the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. You're, um, it was the uh, Jesus of Nazareth movie. Right. I love and, that movie. Right. And, maybe, and so you're going to be able to help me with this. If, okay. I, if my memory serves me correct, okay? <laughs> they say I'm so old. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I got chemo brain, so... Um, <laughs> There, there's a great scene in there where, where you know, and it's Hollywood, mm-hmm. and where they place the scene at is Jesus is is over at Matthew's house, mm-hmm. and if I remember right, right, and it's Peter who is upset because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, right, and then so Peter's kind of standing outside, like you know, I've got to be here, but you don't have to make me go in, right, and when he tells this parable, that's Peter's conversion. Peter comes in and joins them. That's right. Okay. Which which I think is, is very powerful. Oh, I do too. I remember that scene very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right. Right on the mark there. Very good. But, you know, it's really quite common today to see pennies on the ground. It, but in Luke's time, coins were much harder to come by. When the woman finds the coin, she shares the good news with friends and neighbors. Isn't that what we're called to do today about finding Jesus and encouraging repentance? That's part of our evangelization because we complicate evangelization. We think we have to know everything. Evangelization is how Jesus has worked in my life. Right. Okay. How many of us listening tonight, the four sitting around this table at one time or another, we haven't been lost. We've been that lost sheep, that lost coin, that lost son. Right. And I want to go back, you know, in a business standpoint, you know, 99, the lead 99 go search for the one. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd write off the one. It'd be a, it'd be a tax thing. <laughs> you know, um, i.e. the conversation we were having before we came on the air tonight. Um, but is it really that far-fetched when you're the one? Mm-hmm. Is it that far-fetched to celebrate when you're the lost coin? That's right. And I'll go back, cause, and, and I'm going to tell a little story with it, too, because um, you were there. Okay. Remember what I used to do for reconcil- first reconciliation with a coin? Yes, I love that. Yeah. Yes, that so what great. I would do is I would take, um, I would take, you know, like if there's 20 kids, okay. I'd have 19 quarters. Okay. But then I had a gold dollar coin that I would hide. And then I would find it and say, this is you. This is the most precious coin that there is. And that is you in God's eyes. And, and think about it. She finds this coin. Then what does she do? She spends all of her money throwing a party that she's found the lost coin. <laughs> but and, and, and that's another homily I heard, too. It's like the saints and the angels lining up. And you go through the line when you're found, giving them high fives and everything. You know, that, hey, we've been found. Right. You know, like I said, this doesn't make much sense until you're the lost sheep. You're that one. You're that lost coin. True. And then you're found. And again, there's vestiges of that just even in the secular order with us today. Because when we lose something, you know, I'm losing things all the time. 
I lost my mind a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but we are so upset about not finding whatever it is, and we're just, our whole world is turned upside down, and we turn it upside down trying to find it. And when we find it, we are so excited, we get on the phone and call people and tell people we found it. We, we have a big celebration almost, not maybe in the, in the formal sense, but we are so excited and so relieved that we have found it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I, I remember one person who lost his wallet. Mm-hmm. And that wallet, as you know, had the bank cards, every stuff, some documents there. And he was really, really upset the whole day. And finally, he found the wallet into the car. Oh my God, it was a joy. <laughs> so, yes, the lost coin is an example Jesus used. But mainly, he's talking about the soul, our souls. Even if it's one soul of one person, if you lose it, for God, that is a big loss. For the church, that is a big loss. So, that is why he's living even the 99, because... That value of one person who is lost right. is very, very important. very important. It shows us how God looks upon us individually. We forget that a lot, you know, especially when we think of the millions and billions and trillions of people that have gone, walked the face of the earth in history. And yet each and every single human soul is absolutely, you know, absolutely so valuable to God that he's willing to put everything else aside and go after that one. And that's why all three of these parables bring that out. That God's way of valuing thing is completely different than the way we are. That's a good point. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And, and on that note, of course, the, the son returning in the, the prodigal son parable is the most precious of the three lost items. We talked about the prodigal son back before Easter. I, I think you said, Father Marty, it was the fourth Sunday of Lent? Mm-hmm. So that would be the fourth episode of Pastor's Perspective, if you wanted to go back and listen to that episode. Um, shameless shameless plug plug. Um, we talked about the reaction of many of the characters in the reading and I was thinking about other angles and the the servants kept rising to the top of my thoughts I wonder how the servants felt about the son returning Uh, they didn't have really a stake in the inheritance but they were working for his father and you know their livelihood and everything was coming from it so uh, is there any mention in any of the gospels or anything about where it talks about the servants i know the servant answers the brother when he comes back but this is a parable the lost coin and the prodigal son are two parables that are only found in luke oh so um Mm -hmm. so luke is one of the things and i think we've talked about this before is one of the themes of the lucan gospel is God's mercy, God's forgiveness. Okay. Okay. So, so he added in these to show, you know, the depth of God's mercy for us. And you brought up an interesting point because the servants isn't something that we usually think about. We think about the father and the two sons, mm-hmm. but two, you have to remember that when the father says, um, put shoes on his feet, he's no longer a slave or a servant. He becomes his son. Oh, that's right. And that's I why that is so key. I've never thought yeah. about that before. The ring and the uh, and the robe, you know, mm-hmm. you know. But but the, the sandals are a big thing because usually in in Jesus's time, it was um, if you had shoes, you were you were free. Does the ring and the robe point to royalty? That I've never looked up or thought of. So I'm gonna bow to the other two in the room. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could Maybe can avoid the the ring. For example, if you see the bishops, they wear a ring as a sign 
of their 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 ministry, their ministry. So we can associate that that uh, it was um, something precious. They all because he had no dress anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, someone who was uh, lost, you give him a ring, something precious. That was a kind of bringing back his dignity, his life, oh, okay. which was lost already. Right. Yeah. So if you're looking for homework to do, you could go see what you could find about a ring and robe in the prodigal son uh, representing royalty. And then uh, let us know on the website. Um, Ultimately, repentance is the focus here of the reading. Hopefully, the one sinner who repents, which the angels will rejoice over, will be each one of us someday. Or is this more targeted at the fallen away Catholics and their being found again? I think it targets both. The thing that strikes me in this whole thing is that you look at the way the father reacts to the son. When the son asks at the very beginning for his inheritance, that was just unheard of in those days. The inheritance was there and it was substantial, but you waited until a certain time when the father would give you the inheritance. You didn't ask for the inheritance because what he was asking for was half of what he owned. And he was going to go out and and just frivolate fr- away on prostitutes, on loose women, mm-hmm. and alcohol and all the rest of it has just been wasted. And yet the father gives it to him, brokenhearted probably. And yet when you look at the references to the father and you compare them to the heavenly father, this is the way he is when we walk away from him, you know, when we decide we don't need God anymore. Mm-hmm. And he lets us go. That's one of the, sometimes we should do a show on free will or something like that, but we always wonder why. Why does God allow our free will to be so powerful that even if we want to leave the Lord, he lets us leave, you know? And I think, Father Marty, when we, back in Lent, when we talked about this, you said that basically what the son was saying is, I wish he were dead. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so you can imagine how the father felt. And in juxtaposition to God, even though God is beyond our feelings, our human feelings, but God must feel the same way when we deliberately reject him. And yet he lets us do that because he values our free will so much. Yeah. Today we had a, a, a reflection uh, when we were done with the Mass about how we misuse our free will. And we say, this is my right, this is my freedom, and use that to break the commandments. Use that to break the law of God. Yes, you are right. You, you can use your rights, you can use your freedom, that is good. But you have to remember that you don't break away from God. So this is something like the prodigal son. For him, he remembered to come back. But sometimes for us, when we break away, we tend to forget, to, to ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So we do have free will and we can use it to break God's heart. Sure, absolutely. But he's always there listening. He's always there urging us. He's always there. He's always going to be there. And you see this in the example of the father's attitude toward the son. And then when the son finally comes back, after he realizes what a stupid fool I have been, how stupid I have been. The sins of my youth. Sins of my youth. The sins of my youth. Mea culpa, mea culpa. When he finally realizes that and he comes back, he has this confession all lined up. When we go to, I don't know if you guys are like this or not, but I am. I practice my confessions in my own heart before I go to confession. How am I going to say this? What am I going to say? How is this going to sound? The whole bit, you know. Uh, and that's what this guy did, too. He practiced his confession. What does he say to his father? But he's motivated first and foremost by his desire to be reunited again with the father. Then when he goes to the father, the father barely lets him get his confession out. 
because he's so happy to have him back. When I was a young seminarian, we had a priest who told when we had the, the uh, when they were instructing us about how to hear confessions, do a good job and all that. Um, he said the great, the hardest thing for people in confession is the the going to confession, opening that door and walking into that confessional, ringing that doorbell at the rectory and saying, Father, would you hear my confession? You should, as a priest, help them get over that hurdle as best you can. Mm -hmm. Make it as easy for them as possible to get over that hurdle. And then everything else will take care of itself. And I found that to be very, very true. That's what the Father father did in this parable. He he wouldn't even let him get through his memorized uh, version of his confession. And right away, he says, bring the robe, bring the ring, you know, bring the, fix the fatted calf. Uh, he doesn't, he's not even concerned about the sins, which I think yeah. is absolutely amazing. That's and, added, God's attitude toward us. And the wonderful thing about God is that he is always leaving the flock and going out to look for the strayed, yeah. the, the one that's, that's wandering off, yeah. and he's always there. Yeah. I like mostly the humility of this political son, who was humble enough to acknowledge that he needs to go back to his father. Yeah. And I know we can get into this another time because I know we're going long on this. <laughs> and that I'm going to disagree with you there. Mm-hmm. Because I think, and I'm going to go, because I think this leads into virtues and vices. Sure it does. Because what was, his, um, what was his motivation to go back? Me. It was me. And I'm hungry. I'm, it was I'm my hungry. Stomach. I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I, think it was humility. I cannot do with you. Yeah, I think it was my stomach. It was hunger. <laughs> it was <a> yeah. <laughs> hunger, no place to, to sleep, and da-da-da-da-da. But the thing, the, the thing that makes him turn is the fact that his father has no interest in what he's done, right. like you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here's the thing. I would, there's, there, one of the things is, if and when, I, or when and if I get to heaven... Okay, mm-hmm. I, I want to be able. I'm hoping that we have a, a a VCR tape of this parable or something. Okay, no, I want to see because there, there's there's two things I want to see mm-hmm. in this. Number one, the son, the old, the when the older son comes back, mm-hmm. um, I want to know if the younger son goes out with the father. So if the three of them are together. Mm. Second, I want to see the look on the younger son's face. When his son is arguing with his father. And third, I want to see if the younger son actually had a conversion. Because think about it. Because where we left at, you know, we had to celebrate. Um, The son of mine, because your brother was dead and has come to life again, he was lost and has been found. And that's where it ends. We don't hear what what the older brother did or what the younger brother did after that. I, I just I, I find that fascinating, and I think that's part of the of the um, the not the expertise but the brilliance mm-hmm. of Luke's writing. Yeah, you know because you know we get so caught up in what the younger son did and what the older son did, and what, you know, but what it comes down to is not so much our repentance, right? It's the abundant. Mercy of God. Absolutely. If we walk through the door. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's a good place to wrap it up. We actually covered some ground we didn't cover in the first one. I like what the great part about the scripture is. Not. I'm, I apologize if I hurt your feelings by disagreeing with you. No, no, no. I agree with you. I yeah. just wanted to add that uh, God can use it so many ways. He can use hunger. Yeah. He can use any situation to bring you back to him. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. 
You never know. Yeah. And yeah, so, so often, you know, we start out with what we call an imperfect contrition, yeah. which means I'm sorry because it's hurt me. That's mm-hmm. imperfect mm-hmm. contrition. I'm sorry. That's contrition mm-hmm. because it's hurt me. Because I, the sins of my youth, the stupidity of my youth, I'm sorry to argue that. But when we recognize that and then we see how the Father reacts towards us, that leads to a perfect contrition where we're, we've come, hopefully we come to be sorry because we've hurt God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what perfect contrition is. And um, many times, you know, I've seen that often. In my, I'm not breaking any seal of confession here, but I have had people weep in confession when they've come to realize they've come in filled with all this self-pity and all this anger towards themselves and the stupidity and all that of themselves. And they realize, you know, the mercy of Christ. And that brings tears to them, you know. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful. And those tears, when I see those tears, you know, I always tell people, I said, your tears have forgiven you. Your tears are a sign of your forgiveness that come from God. Confession is a powerful thing. Beautiful. Yeah, I was even saying this, you see, that uh, I want just to challenge Father Mali, that uh, there was hunger first, but later it comes to be something greater that... I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. Sure. This mm-hmm. is a statement of humility. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Sunday's Gospel. For those of you just tuning in, Father Dennis, Father Marty, and Father Mike are gathered around the table in the posse tonight. Thanks for joining us for the show. We're happy you tuned in. And tell your friends about the show, too. Uh, Now let's move on to the conclusion of our discussion on the virtues and vices. So far, we have covered the theological virtues virtues last week, and that's the one that didn't get scheduled, so you got to go get that one. And then last week, on the second show, we covered the cardinal virtues. This week, we have the seven deadly sins and the virtues that overcome those sins. There's one point I'd like to make as we go into this, and I don't. Maybe we emphasized it before. A definition of a virtue and a vice. A virtue is a good habit. It's a habit. It's not just one thing that you do that's good. It's something that you do over and over and over again, so that it becomes almost second nature to you. Then you can say a person is virtuous. A vice is not just a bad action that you do once or twice or three times, but it's something that you allow yourself to fall into, an evil thing that becomes almost part of you. And so we, we, we use those words very flippantly in English. You know, we say, if a person does something good, that's certainly a virtuous person. That's not true. A virtue is a good habit. It's a habit. A vice is a bad habit. And I think that's important when we talk about what they are, as we're going to do now. And I think, I think the catechism does well, too, here, too. Um, because, you know, it's in the bulletin this week, that, or next week, that, you know, we bring the catechism in. We have no one for canon law this week. But I'm going to bring the catechism. Right? <laughs> um, a habit of vice is a habit acquired by repeated, and I like, I like that, repeated sin in violation of the proper norms of human morality. The vices are often linked with the seven capital sins. Repentance for sin and confession may restore grace to a soul, but the removal of the ingrained disposition to sin or vice requires much effort and self-denial Absolutely. until a contrary virtue is acquired. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yep. Very good. My, my less exact uh, summary of capital virtues is, the seven capital virtues are the virtues which overcome the seven deadly sins. 
So let's start with explaining what capital virtues means and, and how they are paired with the seven deadly sins. So where, where does the capital virtues, where does capital come from? Are you meaning capital or cardinal virtues? My research said virtues that we're covering tonight, chastity, charity, temperance, kindness, patience, humility, and diligence are called the capital virtues. The cardinal virtues were faith, hope, and charity. Right. And if you take those seven together, they make up the cardinal virtues. Yeah. Just oh, as prudence, okay. temperance, and fortitude, and to faith, hope, and charity. And right. faith, hope, and charity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That explains They're the, the biggies. That's what, the, that the explains things from the, which other things come. Yeah. That explains the duplication. Right. Okay. Now, later on, when you get into natural virtues, you have the same kinds of qualities that are the qualities that come under the same type of heading, but they're a little bit different because they're natural. They're not. They don't come from God directly. They come well. They come from God, but they're things that we naturally acquire or naturally perfect in ourselves. Whereas in the especially faith, open charity, like we talked about at great length, you know. Uh, those things directly come from supernatural grace. So okay. that's the difference. So let's start with chastity. And chastity overcomes the sin of lust. Our bodies are temples to the Holy Spirit, but how many of us defile our temples through lust? What's the best prayer to receive chastity and help us avoid Satan's playground of lust? This is going to sound maybe a little weird, um, but... When and, and again, I don't think I'm breaking the seal of confession, but when someone comes in, you know, confessing sins against chastity, okay. I always say the pray the prayer of Saint Michael. And um and the reason for that is um it's we're in battle. I don't think we like to admit that. We're in battle against the evil of the world. And we need all the help we can get. And it's like a shirt I just got because I thought I had mass on the feast day of the archangels and I got my days mixed up, you know, but it's, um, uh, but it's the day we're having the Eucharistic procession. Um, I need to talk to you about that too, Father Mike. Okay. Um, but, um, the front of the shirt says, don't leave home without your wingman, (laughs) (laughs) you know, St. Michael. And so what I do is, is I just ask him, um, to pray the prayer to St. Michael when they feel that temptation. And, and I think the thing is, is that we need to recognize the temptations that we have, you know, and one of the things that get for, for chastity and lust, you know, today, what's one of the biggest obstacles to live in chastity? It's the computer, mm-hmm. sure. you know, and because we go on those, those sites pop up or we go on those sites, you know, just, you know, just the surf or something like that. Well, one thing leads to another and before you know it, boop. Because yeah, right. lust is not only physical, it's also mental. It's in our head. It's in our thoughts and in our... our uh... And it goes all the way back to the very beginning. You know, the, the evil one attacked the human being, man and woman, in their corporality, in their body. So that, you know, we go back to the Garden of Eden and, and they were afraid to, to see God because they were naked. Because they felt unworthy. Because they felt dirty. And so the evil one tries to get to us even today, maybe especially today, as Father Marty pointed out, with computers. He tries to get at us in, in what they used to refer to as our basic basis instinct. And uh, so we shouldn't be so surprised about that at all, you know. But it is, it's, it's a vice against, or I should say it's a, a sin against the holiness of the body as God made it. That's what we're talking about. Well, for me, uh, some of the things I advise people to try to live with chastity and avoid the lust 
is to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we take it for granted that I can overcome this, I can come overcome this. But if you don't know your strengths or you don't know your weaknesses in that area, you can end up I mean, falling into that sin. Mm-hmm. So knowing yourself is very important. That is one. And knowing the occasions of sins, the occasions of those sins, are they my friends? Are they the computers or social media or something? So know the sources of, of, of evil, of that sin, which can lead you even to, to sin. So those are some of the things that I advise people to do. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to skip over charity since we covered charity in the first show and, and go right on to temperance. We can come back to it if we have time. Yes, we have to go with greed, you know. Uh, absolutely. Charity and greed. That's right. Okay. Um, temperance overcomes the sin of gluttony. Uh, temperance is the internal virtue that helps us to control our love of eating and drinking and pleasure. How do we balance fortitude and temperance? What's the difference? Are you asking what's the difference between fortitude and temperance? Or, do you, or how we use temperance to overcome gluttony. How we use temperance to overcome gluttony. Okay. Temperance is our self-control. Right. And, and one of the things is, and, and I don't know about you, um, I remember the first time that I tried the fast. Okay? <laughs> and I was like, you know, 10 years old or 10, yeah. 11 years old and that. So, you know, here I am on Good Friday thinking, okay, I can do this. Well, there was those M&Ms. <laughs> and I'm like, I can have one. Well, one led to two. Two led the four. Four led the eight. Eight led the 16. 16 led the 32. 32 led to the whole bowl. Um, <laughs> but, but we use temperance there to help guide our, our self. It's our self-control mm-hmm. that overcomes that gluttony. Right. And it's also that temperance that helps us to desire more and more and more. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I need to start a push-away diet. Push away from the table. Yeah, but I think it's a little bit more than that too, because like, um, like I'll give you a great example of that today. Um, and this might sound like a really weird example, but the NFL um, released their 2022 um, intercept cancer campaign. Okay. Okay, which means a lot to me now, mm-hmm. you know, because I got the hat from last year. Right. So this year I'm in on the ground floor because I got this on the first day in the NFL shop. Mm. Okay. So I had a choice. Do I need another hat or do I buy the sweatshirt? Uh-huh. Okay. So I asked someone, if you had to choose between the two, what would you get? And the person said, I'd get the sweatshirt. I'm like, okay, I can wear last year's hat with this year's sweatshirt. But then I started thinking, can I really? Sure. I bought the hat too. No. <laughs> <laughs> a little, I was a little bit gluttonous there. And I will admit that. Go ahead. Well, I want to add something about temperance. Because our, our appetites, our bodies want to get everything. I mean, they want, our body wants to enjoy whatever is around without any moderation. Mm-hmm. So temperance comes in, as Father Mari has said, to give us a kind of self-control. Okay. And if you don't exercise temperance, you can end up even acting like an animal. Because animals have no temperance. Whatever they meet, they do. Whatever they want, they do. But for us, because of the intellect, of the will, we can control our appetites. And, and again, if I'm crossing the line here, Father Phillips, hit me upside the head. <laughs> but, um, you know, especially with, with school kids, uh-huh. you know, you know, you'll hear their confession and I'll just be sitting there kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. And I think back, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that one. 
And then, so then I asked the question, I said, you do what a typical teenager does? And they're like, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, you're, you're understanding this, you know? Yeah. And then, then I give them the next question. But doesn't Jesus expect better? Beautiful. Right. And Very it's good. like the, the air just goes out of the balloon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because so often I think we use that, you know, that excuse that, hey, I'm, I'm human, you know, da 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 da. But, but I do think Jesus wants better for us and right. from us. Right. So, in our go for the gusto, all you can eat buffet world, how do we summon moderation in our lives? I think a lot of it is that we're thankful for what God has given us. I think it's an attitude of gratitude. Right. I don't. I don't know if there's a prayer that goes with that, <laughs> other than thank you, God. But I think self-control. What Father Dennis said is so important. We don't hear much today about self-control, and self-control doesn't mean being a prude. It doesn't mean denying yourself your the legitimate things that God wants you to have. It just means moderation, as Father emphasized there. And even the way we're put together is that if we're immoderate. In, in eating and drinking any or wanting, desiring anything that is beyond what is, what is satisfactory, our body reacts to that. You know, if you eat too much, you drink too much, you're going to get sick. And uh, if, uh, even in matters of just physical pleasure, if you just become a libertine and just go a hedonist and you just go for pleasure for the sake of itself, at the end, I'm not speaking from experience here, but people who have done that say that in the end, it's all very boring. Mm-hmm. It's all very boring. And, and maybe the prayer, the prayer here would be the serenity prayer. Sure. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom sure. to know the difference. All right, very good. The great pagan philosophers, Socrates, Aristotle, they used to say that in moderation, a moderation you'll find your, your total, total happiness not in extremes, you know. And St. Augustine, a great Christian philosopher, has said, in medius dot virtus, virtue is found in the middle. That's moderation. And I think ah, that's important. Very good. That's a good yeah. point. Okay, let's move on to kindness, or brotherly love. And uh, kindness overcomes the sin of envy. And uh, this virtue involves being genuinely happy at everyone's success, even for those we don't particularly care for. Envy is a tough one. Jealousy tends to rear its ugly head when we see others succeeding uh, when we are struggling. How do we counteract that reaction? I, I think that we're, we're generally, if we're generally concerned for one another, that will just flow from that. And I'm going to say something my two brother priests here might disagree. But if you want to hear a hear some, uh, um, if you want to hear another priest talk about another priest. Just say something good about that priest. And they will say something to the effect of, yeah, but I knew him in seminary. <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, and, and I think priests are really bad at this one. We are. We get jealous so easy. Yeah, yes. You are. know, and, um, and it's hard, you know, because it's, it's, I think for me, this is one of the tougher ones, you know, because I do, you know, I would love to be able to preach like Fulton Sheen. You know, we've already had a Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the and maybe that's the key to fight this one, is to know that you know I'm called to be be a saint, and to be a saint means to be myself. That's right. Thomas Merton. Yeah. In addition to what Father Madi had said, sometimes we want to compare ourselves to others, and we want to be who we are not, the people or the person we are not, and we end up into envy, into jealousy about this, about that, you see the success of somebody, someone is loved by people, or 
some I mean there are so many ways. And then if you want to compare to other people, always you will be looking like, why can't I be like this? Why can't I be like this one? But if you accept yourself, as Father Madi has said. Yeah. Yeah. And you know where I learned this gift from? Is from your classmate, Father Casca. Really? Yeah, because we um I was his parochial vicar like eons ago. Um <laughs> and and we started something um, we had it was like a memorial mass for all souls, and someone came up to Father Casca after the mass and said, "Father, thank you. This is so beautiful." Da 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 da. And I was kind of standing there, and I'm like, yeah, you know. And he's like, he's like, "Don't thank me. Thank him. It was his idea." Yeah. And and I just thought that was just you know, hey, you know, that was that's the way we should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you just said about when you when you mentioned in regard to priests, but it applies to anybody. When you mention somebody's name, what is the immediate reaction you get from the people that are around you? Good people react positively. They say something good about the person. They add to what you've already said. People who are, you know, subject to a lot of these vices, they react negatively. Yeah. They, and, and envy is, is the queen of all of that. And so, again, it takes self-control. It, takes, it doesn't come automatically, you know. And yet it'll make you a lot happier and you'll be able to sleep a lot better at night if... People and eventually, what's going to happen is people are going to say about you what you've said about others. Yes. He always says something nice about so and so. I've never heard him say anything. Never heard him put anybody down and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, and to kind of go back to what Father Dennis was saying about wanting to be like other people and stuff. George Carlin had a comedy routine on confession where he ended it by saying, "And covet, Father, heavy on the covet." <laughs> so, um, don't envy and coveting kind of go hand in hand? A little bit, yeah. I would say so, don't you? I would, sure. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to patience. We're uh, we're we're running uh, we're running low on time here. We may go over just a bit, but I want, I'm bound to determine to get this in three shows. Patience overcomes the sin of wrath or anger. Jesus said, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Patient reigns in resentment at others. Instead of getting angry with others, we should stop and pray for them, modeling Jesus on the cross. Anger is another emotion that is sometimes hard to keep in check. It seems many of the deadly sins are rooted in emotions. Anger, pride, envy, greed. Why are our emotions such strong triggers for sin? And how do we keep our emotions in check? Well, and one of the things is here too, I think with with this is we are emotional beings. Sure. But like Father Dennis said, we're not animals either. So we can control. Now, here's the thing. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. Jesus got angry. We all get angry. It's what we do with that anger. I.e., somebody cuts me off in traffic. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to A, get really angry and... Um, give them the Hawaiian peace sign. <laughs> or, do you know what the Hawaiian peace sign is, Father Dennis? No. Um, read between the lines. Okay. 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 I got you. All right. I got you. Gotcha. Okay. Got you. Or, what I try to do there is say, and sometimes it comes out between gritted teeth, God bless you. <laughs> but, but, you know, one of the things, you know, as a confessor, I think we all hear, you know, I got angry you know, with my, you know, with my spouse, da, 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 da. how did that anger show itself? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, did I yell at her? Did I do something else? Da, 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 da. That ended up, that's the sin, not the anger in and of itself. 
Right. It's it's easy to get angry over the little things in life. For me, that's red lights. I, red lights drive me crazy. And I've started praying at red lights, and that seems to help me a little bit. And Tony, but, you just came up, you just propped something in my mind, something that I've been trying to work on since February. Don't major in the minors. I like that. <laughs> that's what I was just going to ask about, is there is such a thing as just anger. Right. Yes. And when Jesus cleared out the, the, the temple and went over and tipping over the money tables and everything comes to mind. How do we let the mere pittances go and save our anger for real injustices where we can do some good with our anger? Or can you do good with our anger? That's where the virtue of patience comes in. Because in patience, you're enduring injustice in a way that is, uh, you know, that is not sinful. And uh, you're, you're putting in, just what Father Marty just said, you know, major in the, no major in the minors. That's so... It's so yeah. philosophically true. And also, remembering that you are not perfect. Yeah. When you, are, you remember that and you acknowledge that, you can be patient so much. But if you want to feel like you are like this and you blame everybody, oh, without patience, it can be hard. Okay, uh, let's go on to humility. We're, uh, we're running low on time here, but I want to get these in. Uh, humility overcomes the sin of pride. Everything on earth is on loan from God. Humility is the virtue that recognizes our 100% reliance on God for all that we will ever have. The Bible says, and we've talked about humility quite a bit in the past couple of weeks, God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. So be humble. Does humility come from the head or the heart or somewhere else altogether? I think it comes from both. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I just think... When I, what helps me a great deal is humility is truth. It's truth. It's the truth about ourselves. It's the truth about our relationships with other people. It's the truth about our world. So when we're truly humble, we accept what is really true. And so if you accept the truth about yourself in regard to that you're totally dependent on God and all the rest, then uh, you know, you're not going to get all puffed up about yourself. I, I, and I agree with that. And, and the other thing, too, and I think it helps us overcome that, that pride um, it's a little bit of what I preached on last weekend. I, um, and, and if I was Pope for a day, I would add a verse into our um, Palm Sunday Mass. Because we start the Philippians reading off at verse 6. I want to go back to verse 5. That's where I want to start it. Because it starts with, your attitude must be that of Christ, who, even though he was in the form of God, humbled himself. You know, he became one like us. He got down on his hands and knees to wash feet. He humbled himself to be born like one of us. He humbled himself to take up a cross. And this is something that I keep on my phone from two years ago. Okay. Okay. You think you're humble? Wait until God instructs you, serve someone who has hurt you, bless someone who has betrayed you, and minister to the very people who assaulted your name. Are you humble enough? Hmm. Interesting. The time is not enough about humility. There is a lot. For example, myself, when I finished at St. Ambrose, my last paper is on humility. And when I chose that topic, people were saying, no, Father, how can you write on humility? Because they feel like humility is a weakness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, oh my goodness, you can read, I can, send, I can give you that paper, you can read about it. You will see how humility covers a lot in our life. In all honesty, we probably could have done a show on each one of these virtues. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so trying to cram it all into four show or three shows is probably a little much, but pride is the devil's greatest sin. 
does the devil want us to think uh, we are gods too? That was the big thing with Michael and Satan. You know that he wanted to be more than God. It's first that was the first temptation. Right. You know that you you'll be more than you'll know more than God does. Mm -hmm. So yes, very much so. And it's not only the, the devil's greatest sin; it's our greatest sin too. Pride. If you go back to every weakness that we have, every deliberate weakness that we have, um, it, it's it's rooted in pride, in, in our thinking that we are better than than what we really are, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and it's only in recognizing that in our humility that we become better than what we think we are. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting kind of mechanism that's present here. So, but pride is, is at the root of everything we do, deliberately do, I should say, not, not deliberately, but deliberately choose. And that's evil, that comes from pride. What happens when someone starts to think that they earned what they have through their hard work or their talents or whatever? when in fact God is the one who gives it all to us? I think God has a way to humble us. <laughs> I, I really do. I mean, sure does. you know, we, we, are, we are found, you know, something will happen that we realize that our dependence isn't on ourselves, it's on God. Mm -hmm. The old adage that pride goes before the fall. And uh, you, you see that just in history. You look at uh, history of nations, history of leaders and people. You, you see that the ones who have these great, these great tyrants and these evil people that have led people into death and war and all the rest. What's happened to them? Pride goes before the fall. Yeah. Wow, I like that. Yeah, that's like right between the eyes, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, jump on diligence here real quick. Diligence overcomes the sin of sloth. Diligence is the virtue that tells us to fulfill our duties in life, even when they become boring. Our duties and obligations in life would include our work, our home, our country, our church, and our family. How diligent do we need to be with our time, talent, and treasures when it comes to the parish and to our church spiritual life? Well, we need to be very diligent. <laughs> you know, because I think it's so easy to take advantage of what God has given us. We become lazy. But diligence says that there's always work to be done. There's always work to build up the kingdom. Right, and, and I think, too, one of the things that, that I've learned is that I'm not, I hate to admit this, but I'm going to, I'm not as diligent as I want to be with paperwork. I find paperwork boring. I don't know if you did when you were pastor, but, <laughs> you, you know, did. Yeah. still do. But one of the things that, that helped me was at, at IPF. Mm -hmm. um, when the director says, when I get back on Monday, the first thing I'm going to do is sit at my desk for two hours and sign um, <laughs> letters for people who have donated. Mm -hmm. He's just got to sign his name. Thank you. Da, 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 you know, but what he said was he brings God to the desk with him. Mm -hmm. And that helped me out considerably. If I bring God into my paperwork, just as I bring God into, you know, before I went to anoint somebody last week at the hospital, if you keep, continue to bring God into things, that helps us to be diligent. Take God with you. When Wherever you, you go. So when life gets hard, sometimes it's too easy to just move on or avoid the hard stuff in life. How will we be judged if we don't exercise diligence toward our loved ones and our fellow man when we die? I think we're going to be kind of, I think we're going to be judged harshly. Would you agree? I do, very much. Yeah. We, the Lord will probably say, you know, I cared, but you didn't care about all the things that were really important in your life. Those are things that we should really be concerned about, I think, when we are still in a situation where we can change them now. But Jesus is merciful, right? Mm -hmm. 
So he will forgive us. Presumption. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of goes back to the whatsoever you do to the least of my brother. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're going to be very surprised, I think, at the judgment, you know. And I know the old adage about things are going to go pretty good for those who are most worried and all that. But uh, a lot of things we should examine our conscience about. And these things that we've been talking about are included in that that things that we take for granted, God doesn't take for granted. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we are concerned about the poor and the sick and the suffering and the, the people in our lives that nobody else pays any attention to. But God pays a lot of attention to that. Yeah. So to end it on kind of an up note, what is the reward for diligence? Either immediately, you know, in our lives or uh, after we die? I would say life with God, eternal. Mm -hmm. Well, that wraps up our series on virtues and vices. Uh, Father Dennis, I believe you have our closing prayer. Yes, I wanted to conclude with a prayer to ask for forgiveness like the prodigal son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh Lord Jesus, Redeemer and the Savior, forgive our sins. Count not our transgressions, but rather our tears of repentance. Remember not our iniquities, but more especially our sorrow for the offenses we have committed against you. We long to be true to your word, and I pray that you will love us and come to make your dwelling place within us. We promise to give you praise and glory in love and in service all the days of our life. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Dennis. Very nice. With that, we bring our series on virtues and vices to a conclusion. I was pleasingly surprised that we were able to turn what I thought would be two shows into a three-show extravaganza. <laughs> I'd also like to apologize once again for the scheduling, Fupa. I can't blame anyone but me. I just simply forgot to schedule it. If you weren't able to hear the shows when they were aired last week, please go to our website, kcdmradio.org, and listen to them when you have time. Pastor's Perspective for next week, the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue with Chapter 16 in Luke's Gospel, and we will be talking about the seven sorrows of Mary. Until next week, remember, God loves you and has a plan for your life. We invite you to come back to Mass and receive the sanctifying graces to increase your many virtues. Consider this a personal invitation to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd like to thank uh, the, the priests who are in the posse tonight. Father Mike, thank you. Thank you. Father Marty, thank you. Thank you. Father Dennis, thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning in. Please join us again next week on the radio. Listen on the website. Until then, pray to acquire all the virtues in abundance and to shed all your vices ruling your lives. The reward for acquiring these virtues is out of this world. Be humble, be happy. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 